0: and when we get into Genesis there, of course we know we've I don't want to go over things that we've already gone over even though I feel like we miss so much. Uh, there's just so much uh, in the original Hebrew when this is written, it's just it's just incredible really. when we think about it and, and uh, when we God by his grace, you know he, he can teach us. He, he teaches these things. But here we are. Uh, we, we're just about to get into uh, chapter 10. But to understand uh, that uh, chapter 10, and we're the families of the earth, the new earth in the sense that God recreated it through baptizing the old world in a flood, and out of it was to rise new life. We come to again and we talked about the two the two ev- the two uh, events in, in noah's life. we see it very clear here and we can we again we see it in, in uh, chapter eight verse 20 all the way to chapter nine verse twenty nine so to to continue on and to see where we are even now in the prophetic calendar of history of of humanity, the history of humanity, really this began in this new, this new uh, world baptized uh, by, by God. And we know all the types and we've gone over all those types there. But there were two things. And the first one had to do, with, and this bears repeating, the first one had to do with the sacrifice. So there was a sacrifice. And in that sacrifice being fulfilled, there was the divine promise which followed it. So there's a sacrifice. And of course, we know all those sacrifices in Leviticus and, and Exodus and Leviticus and, and even here, way back here in Genesis, uh, the ninth chapter, as we said, 820 to, to say uh, 929 and so forth, it had to do with sacrifice and that was pointing that was pointing to Christ and, of course, all the promises, and we'll get into that, of God in Christ Jesus, or yea and amen, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. But, but for God to, to be able to fulfill his promise, his justice had to be met. His loving justice had to be met. So there had to be sacrifice for that divine promise to be fulfilled. In other words, for God to still be just, a just loving God and a loving God loving justice That's the way that it had to be. So there was a sacrifice, and this is brought out in these scriptures. There was the sacrifice, and then there's the prophetic curse and blessing upon his sons, upon his sons. And we're gonna see how God began then to replenish the earth with humanity, with those families. But again like we said the first thing and we 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 said it uh, recently that the first thing that noah did was to build an altar for this burnt sacrifice something that happened and the burnt sacrifice always speaks of what christ accomplished to his father on calvary had to do with the sin question in john 1 verse 29 and we've stated this before in john 1 29 he was the lamb that took away, not the sins, although for those that chose him, he did. In Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 4, and we said that was based upon the types in Leviticus 16, the 16th chapter, in those first 20 or so verses, the two lots. So the burnt sacrifice was the Lord's lot. That was between him him and the Son. He was dealing with the whole sin question. And then being, propitiating a father, he then could be the substitute for all of those who would be reconciled through him to the father because their sins would be dealt with. Their old nature would be crucified and their sins would be dealt with. So he built an altar for sacrifice. And see, so sacrifice always enters into thanks, thanksgiving, and that's brought out in Hebrews 13, verse 15. What do we offer? I mean, what can we do after everything that God has done? And it is even his love in and for us that even actuates our love, which is obedience, which returns in nothing but praise and worshipful sacrifice. We offer the sacrifices of our praise, and that's a beautiful thought when we consider in Psalm 22 and verse 22 and in Hebrews 2 and verse 12, that for all eternity, we as the bride and all others, but we as the bride of Christ and all other people groups will will worship the Father, and we will be led by Christ and with him to do so. So that in the finality of God's plan, and we will see this, That in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, even the Son in his perfect humanity as God in the Son is having Christ, having his Father, God the Father, to be all in all. And even that goes into Revelations chapters 21 and 22, the eternity of the eternities. That's why, again, the earth that God created okay, will change in its appearance, but will never be destroyed in Ecclesiastes 1.4, Isaiah 45 and verse 17, and Ephesians 3 and verse 21. The earth will never, because whatsoever God does, whatever he does, he does forever in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14. And the earth happens to be the place where God will manifest beautifully, for all eternity, and even does so now with Christ in us, his essential nature, character, and essence. And for us to experience it obviously has to do first with the burnt sacrifice. That's the Lord's lot. And then we put our hands on Christ. and No one can do that for us. No one can receive Christ for us. No one can atone or deal with our sins but only Christ who has dealt with it. And that's our confession in 1 John 1, 9. But we put our hands, the individual puts his hands on that sacrifice and confesses. And that's brought out in the second lot uh, in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. But nowhere here he prayed and he offered, he built an altar for a burnt sacrifice. The altar, obviously, we know is the type of the cross where Christ was crucified, and that became the place of first the burnt offering, the sacrifice between the Father and the Son in terms of propitiation. And then there would be, for all those that would receive him, there would be substitution, which he would be the only substitute. So we see that's what Job prayed for in Job 9 and verse 33. It's what Paul wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit in 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one mediator between God and men. It is the man, the Greek article, the man, Christ Jesus. He's the one who has settled everything, settled the place where the Father rests and settled in his son for us. We rest where God rests and that is in, in Colossians 1 and verse 13, the son of his love. And that's why we have every, every moment, even when we fail, and God forbid that we should do so, but we do. And when we do, in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, we have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, period. Also available for the world. That's what's brought out in the original there. And, and so we thus are brought back in the only place to get back to God experientially and experience a proper position is through confessing our sins. This has to do first with the burnt uh, sacrifice. And then there was a thank offering for gracious protection. Since then, since now that the burnt offering has been offered to God and the work has been finished in John 19 and verse 30, father being taken care of, he gives us his son, the place of his rest That's brought out in Genesis chapters two verses one and two, and it's brought out in Hebrews chapter four in those first ten verses. We rest right where he rests, and then we experience a father, not a judge, because all our sins have been dealt with. We confessed it. And in in Leviticus 1-4 for salvation and then we then we continually confess that and have our feet washed in John 13:7 through 10 we have our feet washed and so that we can have a continual intimate love exchange through Christ with the father and that's why in Revel, in, in John 20 in verse 17 we have, Christ said I go to my father first and only the way that he could, and your Father. Okay. To my God and to your God. And we have a God right now. He's our Father. And through Christ, through Christ and him alone, he governs us on the earth, not as a judge, but as a loving Father. But all those that don't have Christ and don't have the Father have to face him as a judge. And this goes into Revelation chapter 20. And the finality, just just before we enter into uh, the eternity of the eternities, in Revelation uh, twenty ten and verse fifteen, all those have to answer for what only Christ could answer for, and was the answer for. And that is why that's why Job again in Job nine in verse thirty three, he 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 said, "I wish there was a man, someone, a daysman," he said, "that could touch." Me and my humanity in weakness, and that's why Christ was, crea- was, was created and crucified in weakness in Second Corinthians 13, verse 4, and that he could touch the Father. And that's Christ, the go-between. No other man is a go-between between us and God. No other man, no priest, no pope, no pastor is a go-between because everything that that individual did, he confessed, each of us confessed on Christ alone. That's what makes him our only authority, and no one else is our authority. So Noah was, after that, was to give thanks for the gracious protection because he was in the ark. He was in that ark. And so we went went into all of these, but we needed to touch these just again before we get into Genesis, uh, the ninth chapter. Now, all the purposes of God, even through the flood, we knew that when God brought the flood, when he brought it, it was his love mingled with his wrath. (laughs) That's what it was. His justice. And, And all those that were in the ark were above it, the waters of judgment. They were in Christ in type with their view upward. All those divine purposes were purposes of peace. And that's what God was communicating to Noah through these types. He was communicating to him peace, listen, while he was sacrificing. And when we give right sacrifice and and right worship, it's based upon the peace that Christ is in us in Ephesians 2. And verse 14, that peace that he won for us in Colossians 1 and verse 20. That peace that he won us. And then he gave us the God of peace and in doing so, he gave us the peace of God. And what a tremendous thing to begin to understand as we are this morning. So, but all of this again in Genesis 9, 1 through 7 was the renewal of the blessing. There's a blessing that God wants to renew, and that's why when we come to hear the word of God in Ephesians 4 and verse 23, in that local assembly, that place, where we do get renewed because we're weak and we need to be renewed back to proper thinking. And then we have proper thinking, we have proper emotions. And then we, then fear does not govern us in 2 Timothy 1, 7, nor does it in 1 John 4 and verse 18. And so we have this renewal in the type here. It's the renewal of blessing pronounced at the creation and the establishment of a covenant. All the covenants, all of them, all of them, all of them in terms of Christ fulfilling them and him only were unconditional because it had to be that way because there's no conditions on grace. It has to be from God. He's not looking for works for anyone other He's not even looking for works, period, right now, because his son has finished them. He's looking at you and I, no matter what we go through, ups and downs and failure, and God forbid that we should fail and make bad choices, but he still sees us fixed in the son of his love. In Job 36, In verse 7, he never removes his eye from the righteous. When I, the enemy gets me to remove my eye from who I truly am in a right image in Christ, what do I do? I begin to go back to a lying definition. I begin to see God after my own failures and think that that's how God sees us. And don't think that you and I, no matter how we're taught, when we don't go forward and we go back, that we will go back to that. There's no question about it. But thank God we have that confession. He always has a, has a way back for us experientially. We never leave positionally. You cannot lose your salvation. In John 6, 37 to 39, we're in his hand, that hand of grace in First Peter 5, 6, and it's brought out in John 10, verses 28 and 29. We are in the hand of the Father, and that is Christ. And the only thing that he does and can do for unworthy objects in themselves is through grace, his only operation. These are what all the types are pointing to. So he gave them a a visible sign that he would never again, he said he'd never again destroy the earth ever again through a flood. He would never do it again. He had to do that because men, and we, we, we have been taught this in Genesis 6, 5 and 8, 21, the whole thought, purpose, design of men continually without interruption is only evil continually. And evil is that that is in absolute opposition to God's will. That's why Christ said in John 4 and verse 34, fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm Forty verses seven and eight, he said, I came to do the will of the Father. Because no one else could do it, no one else had done it. They had to go into the ark. That was the type of the fulfillment of the will of God. But they submitted. They didn't have anything in themselves, they had no works with which to do it, but they simply submitted to the grace and entered entered into the ark, which was a type of the fulfillment of the will of the Father through Christ. We see that in Psalm, 70, uh, Psalm 40 verses 7 and 8. We see that crystal clear based upon John 4 verse 34. He said, I came to do the will of the Father, which was manifested His whole walk on the earth. He said in John 8, 29, I always do those things that please the Father. I always continually am pleasing His will and then showing the way to which it's done with the life that you receive. And that life in us is the eternal life that Christ is in 1 John 5, and verse 11. So we see that the flood was the result of all those that were in opposition led by the enemy to God's will, to God's will. And so, again, even here, and this needs to be, we need to bring certain things out here because of teaching and maybe... Maybe at this point, uh, the teaching about the blood of Christ hasn't had, maybe, maybe you you haven't been taught that, I don't know. But um, then way back, even in the 70s and the 80s, we were, there was teaching that was going around that the blood of Christ was no different than our blood. Which makes no sense whatsoever, based upon Leviticus 17, verses 11, and 14 the life of the flesh is in the blood the life of the blood, f- flesh is in the blood that's why even here in the command about eating animals the blood was to be drained the blood was to be drained in the animals why because it was the soul life that was in the blood it's crystal clear in the scriptures jesus blood was that blood that was different while he, God was forming him, making him, creating his humanity through the power of the Holy Spirit, in Luke 1 and verse 35, apart from the mother's blood, because, the, because it had to be a spotless sacrifice. Exodus 12, 1 to 13, in the types. In Numbers 19, 1 and 2, in the types. And so, if the blood was polluted, so would the body be. So would it be, we were taught, and some still believe that to this day. They still believe it, because it's man trying to interpret science or the nature of things apart from God, and substituting what he thinks is knowledge. So-called, science, in 1 Timothy 6.20, science, so-called. And then they naturally interpret the Word of God. They privately interpret it, and the only way we could do that in 2 Peter 1 and verse 20 is is through the natural man. And that's why even at times when we doubt, and that's when we're in the flesh, when we doubt, that's what it is. We're privately interpreting We privately interpret God, he can't be trusted. So I have to doubt and I have to fear. And so we see these things in the Bible and and, and all the while, is God for us? Absolutely, I mean, he, how much does he love us? Every individual is loved. And that's why even the preaching of the word, the preaching of the word, and that's why when it says this in First Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, I thank God when the word was preached, you didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which works effectually in you that believe. It works effectually, like only it can through grace. And so, again, when we have that, we have that, it's not the word of men, but as it is the truth. So it's the preaching of the word, when it's done that way, is God loving you. That's right. Loving you. Loving you, see, that's the truth. That's 1 John three eighteen. love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love starts with the inward. And if that's not dealt with, I can do all the other outward things. I can say I love you, okay? So this is what makes these things so very important. So the soul life of the animal is in the blood. And is in ours, too, in our, natural, in our natural way. In our natural way, in our natural lives. And so, that's why the blood was to be drained. Why? Because did Christ pour out his blood on God? Was it poured out? When the soldier took the spear and speared his side in John 19, 34, what came out? The serum, which was speaking, first thing that came out was blood, and then, and then it says water, which was the serum. Two very essential things for the believer. Those two things, that, that even in the type in John 19, verse 34, goes into 1 John chapter 1, 7 and 9, and goes into John 13, 7 through 10. So we see then that the blood being poured out It's the whole soul life. Everything about self is poured out. See, what Christ did on Calvary, pouring out his blood, he poured out his self completely to God first in the burnt burnt offering, the burnt sacrifice. And then becoming that clean substitute pours himself out to us. And that's why it even says in Romans 5.5, to know the love of Christ, the love of God, that not sheds abroad, but pours out without measure upon us. And boy, the enemy doesn't want us experiencing in that place. That's why he tries to get us to sin, to doubt, to go back to old things, because he hates it. But he can't do anything positionally, so he goes after the experience. So sacrifice denotes the surrender of one's inmost life. Soul, everything about myself is poured out to you. The inmost life of the very essence of life to God. Now, we all have been made of one blood. The Bible makes that crystal clear in Acts 17 and verse 26, in the natural sense. In the natural sense. As we know this, in Hebrews 9 and verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no canceling. There's no remission of sins. Whose blood? The perfect, spotless victim's blood. His. His. And that's why even when they saw him, and even when he said to the, to the two on the road of Emmaus, I believe it's around Leviticus 23 and, and uh, 24 and around uh, 49. I say, I say it's a, a Leviticus, uh, I mean a Luke 24, around the 40s and up to 49. He said, touch me. For a spirit has not bones or uh, flesh or bones. His whole life was poured out. We are all brethren in the natural sense. In Acts 17, verse uh, uh, 26. We all are. But blood and flesh cannot enter in. In John 3, 3 through 5. This is all what this is teaching. And it's all very necessary. Because we're going to see very soon. And get into into the details. But again, God is establishing a foundation, establishing us on our foundation in our experience. So, we see this very clear. You could see it. The old sin nature in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 was passed on. That's why it says in Psalm 51 and verse 5, I was conceived in iniquity, and in sin my mother brought me forth. And even babies, when they're born, it says as soon as they're born, until they're born again and reach the age of accountability, in Psalm 58 verse 3 it says they tell lies. As cute as they are, (laughs) as sweet as they are, and we all were like that, weren't we? Hopefully I don't stay a baby. (laughs) Flesh and blood can't enter in. There's only one blood that did save, and it was poured out on Calvary. The first Adam had polluted blood. The second one was a spotless Lamb of God. The second Adam. We you know that the, the, the two Adams is brought out beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15 of 45 to 49. So, so then the commandment was given. God gave a commandment for this new establishment of his government on the earth that if you would murder another individual, another man, created in the image of God, you were trying to destroy the image of God in the man. And who would cause that? The murderer from the beginning in John 8 verse 44. And Cain, submitting not to Christ, not receiving him, but receiving all his thought life from the murderer that was from the beginning, became the first murderer he killed. He wanted to kill the image of this new Christ in his brother Abel as he brought the sacrifice. You can see that in Genesis chapter 4, and you can read those first six, seven, eight verses there. And then you see his response when God called it, and my brother's keeper, could care less about anybody else. We're seeing it displayed all over the world right now. Now, he said, and some misinterpret the Scriptures, but in Exodus 20, in Exodus 20, verse 13, it doesn't say that you should not kill. It says you shall not murder. Makes it clear. Murder. Ratzak, and we talked about that recently, but again, it's Ratzak, and it means you shall not murder because that speaks of revenge and hatred that is not from God, And that's why even for us it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 26, be angry, but don't sin because if you do, and it's not righteous anger, you've given place to the devil in Ephesians 4 and verse 27. That's what Cain did, and that's what anyone else does That's unsaved, or that's what we do when we go back to the flesh because it's strong, settled, hatred, thoughts, and feelings that can't change towards God in Romans 8, verse 7. But thank God that in Romans 8, 9, this flesh may be in us, but we're not of it. Thank God. We are of Christ through the sacrificial lamb who shed his blood and had, yes, there was spiritual death. Obviously, but before that, there had be, for that to happen, there had to be a sacrificial lamb who would pour out his whole self to God. So it says you, you, not, you inflict punishment in God's order, and that is capital punishment. You, want, you know why things aren't so governed right today on the earth and in our country? And how many places has that been taken away? This few. How many places has that not been implemented? Because it was God's command. It was to make sure the continuance of each individual in freedom and liberty. It's God's will. And when you have God's will, which is manifested through God's word, and you submit to it, you have security. That's brought out in Isaiah 33. And verse 6, wisdom and knowledge will be the the stability, the security of our times. And we can make a choice to receive it. Not based upon our thoughts or our feelings, but complete dependence upon God and his word. Let God be true. And every man a liar in the flesh. In Romans 3 and verse 4. Should their unbelief in Romans 3, 3 make the word of God vain or empty? No, God forbid. Let God be true. And every man a liar, how is he true in us? With his word, with my will submitted to his will, which was Christ who finished it and who is the word and gives me specific direction. There's times to be still and do nothing. That's right. And God has to reduce us to bring us down to those places because we wouldn't do it ourselves. And when he knows that, even ignorantly, when we're operating in negative energy to even get things done, and it's not him, he reduces us to a place where now he has to bring us again to a place of self-helplessness and self-hopelessness because he's jealous over us in Exodus 20 and verse 5, in Exodus 34 and verse 14, in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24. He is jealous over us with a fervent, godly, holy love. He wants us all to himself. He's the measure and only the measure of our security. So they said, you shall not matter murder, because who sheds man's blood, by man will his blood be shed. That was setting up God's government. Okay, That had to do with God's own judicial power, which has to do with his love which protects. His judicial power. And so that was the first command in that sense of the new creative order after the flood. It had reference to the temporal sword. You will see that in Luke 22 and verse 36 where Jesus was telling them in the end times, it's gonna get crazy. If you have a purse and a script and a cloak and you don't have a sword, buy one. It speaks of protection, not murder, not murder. If someone's trying to murder me, and I defend myself, and that person gets killed, that's not killing, uh, that, that's killing, not murder. Massive difference. Massive difference. As compared to the false delusional utopia on the earth that man's going to do apart from God. That was the first command, but it had reference to a temporal sword See, the government on the earth right now is temporal till Christ comes back and establishes his millennial kingdom. And even then, even then, at the end, when it's all fulfilled, those thousand years and millennial reign, scores of scriptures, but suffice Revelations 23 and 4, the millennial reign, the thousand years where he's going to reign, even then, that's when Christ with us will submit And we go into the eternity of the eternities on the earth. Heaven and earth become one. That's even brought out when we see the throne. In Revelations 4 and verse 3, there's another rainbow. But this one's circular. See, there was only one half to protect us, to lead us through. All those through. And we'll be raptured long before the second advent, before the second advent, we'll be coming back with him in Revelations 19, 11 to 16, we'll be coming right back with him. You see that again in Jude, verses 10, 11, and 12, thousands of them coming back. They did not know all these huge numbers back then, but an innumerable host in Revelations 1, 7 that blocks out the clouds as we come back. And so here... Again, that was the first command and it was temporal. But then, even Christ himself with us in 1 Corinthians 15, 28, God is all in all. And we enter into the eternity of the eternities. Okay, so it was a temporal government to be established. The sword was placed in it by the hand of God. Even that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Even the powers that be are ordained of God in Romans 13 and verse 1. Are there evil powers in power right now? Absolutely. Are they of God and his government? Absolutely not. Thank God for voting. God help us in America for these next two years because judgment begins and he'll use it. I believe, even more so, these next two years. Judgment begins in the house of God. Each individual that makes up the very habitation of God and the Spirit. That's 1 Peter 4 and verse 17 with Ephesians 2 and verse 22. It began in Israel. It did. It began in Israel. There's no question about it. And that's in Jeremiah 9 and verse 25. It began with Israel. And, it, and just before that, he's he's getting us to get ready to live in self-judgment of the flesh so that we can be prepared. But my God, I, I can't imagine what these next two years are. But God has, and he has a protection plan for us. There's no question about that. So there's no fear, by the way. Prophecy, again, is taught, not that that we operate in the protection of God's love. We have a godly fear, which speaks of reverence, but not a fear with timidity and shrinking again. That's why in Luke 18.1, men should always pray and not turn coward, shrink and go back. Luke 18.1 with 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. So the command does not sanction revenge, but lays the foundation For God's judicial rights to be established, divinely appointed of him. And that is even what Romans 13 and verse 1 is saying. So if murder was to be punished because it was the image of God that man was destroying in another man, and if it was to be punished with death, it was because it destroyed the image of God in man. That's why capital punishment is extremely biblical. It's foundational foundational, without any question. And that's why, finally, when we get to the millennial reign, only Christ, who will deal with uprisings quickly in the millennial reign. You see that in Psalm 2. Read those 12 verses. Read it 2.9. Rebellion, he smashes it like someone taking a steel pipe and smashing some pottery. And you see that again in Revelation 2, in verse 28 and 29, right in there that will be dealt with by him. Just prior to the Satan finally being loosed from the, uh, the abyss for a little while, fire comes down, consumes him. Then there's the, there's the judgment seat, which has to do with the sins of those that weren't born by Christ. And then they with the, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire, and then we go on into the eternity of the eternities. It was never to be left up to individuals to bring, to, to bring in the cause of justice had to do with those that God put in power. And it belonged to those who represent his authority, understand his authority, they understand his majesty, and then they become divinely appointed rulers. Are there rulers in power today? They're not so divine, are they? We're going to see where they came from. And where the places where they're located, the places where they're located and functioning right now, we'll see where they came from in the scriptures here. So if murder is to be punished, it had to do with the image of God. And that's why even, and this is how we properly interpret the scriptures, and that's why some a lot of times translations are not, they're not the end all. They can help. But that's why even in, I, in uh, Psalm 82 in verse six, he said to the Jews, "Even you are gods. Gods? You mean like no? Those that are divine rulers. He made you divine rulers to be divine rulers. That's understanding. Psalm 82 in verse six. Not that you do things in God's justice. You never could with revenge, ever, ever. It has nothing to do with revenge." So that laid, that command there, laid the foundation for all civil government. Do you understand that? So when that foundation, you get a little bit off that foundation, who's doing the governing? If it's not God's will through his word, who's doing the governing? We're going to get rid of capital punishment. We don't think that's fair. (laughs) Well, who asked you? Who asked you? And what is your fairness based on? Is it God? his will, his word, his authority, and it's not. So that's that new historical beginning. So God, through this, began to condense and establish a covenant. That was the rainbow. He said, I give you the rainbow. And even to the end, even to the all end of the changing of the world, there will be a rainbow. And that's emblematic again in Revelations 4 and verse 3. And in Revelations 4 and verse 3, see, it was just dealing with the earth. But now it's going to be his government on the earth, okay? Fulfilling the prayer, the disciples' prayer to the Jews in Matthew 6, 10. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is it God's will being done in heaven right now? Yes, but it's a circular rainbow in sight around his throne where he rules both in heaven and on the earth, and and it's it's a 180 right now, for lack of a better word. But in that we see this: we see a glorious and living, life-giving expression of the great truth that God, His God's covenant signs, in which He has put His promises, and where are all. The promises of God located in 2 Corinthians 1.20. They're located in Christ. And even the rainbow, it's a type of what? Even now, even now, it's a type because even in type, Christ was sacrificed. And there's still, still measures of peace, mostly inwardly. <laughs> we have the inward peace of God that in Philippians 4 and verse 7, we have the peace of Christ, he, that he that is in me. And it's the eye of the storm and everything could be raging around outside of me and I can look at it and give it place. And it doesn't make sense. It's like the hurricane, it's very chaotic and the hurricane sweeps up all this debris and it enters into the mind of the experience. Can't touch the position of the believer but right in the center is the I. And that's the peace that God is in his son, in us, in us and him. So we don't look without, we don't look without circumstances and situations apart from him. Because when I do, those circumstances and the situations that I find myself in, Christ no longer is my guide through the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the word and showing me, but it becomes those things. They become my authority. My circumstances and situations, no matter what they look like, no matter how I think, do I think apart from him? Do I think apart from him? So again, here, in this particular place here, we see these beautiful things that are brought out in the promises because all these covenants, signs, and all his promises are real vehicles of his grace, who is? All, what are all these types referring to? John 1 in verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten One, filled up with all that grace and truth is. See, all these types, see, Christ is the key that unlocks everything. You take away the key, this, this Bible remains a closed door and it's left up to private interpretation. And of course, the only way to do it privately is the natural man in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 who receives not the things of God because they're foolishness unto him. He can't know them because they're spiritually discerned. They are. So all of that Even the laws of nature are ordained, set in place by God. And they have their ultimate ground, foundation, and purpose in the plan of God of the universe, which is going to link both everything that's natural and grace. And where did all that take place? All in Christ. All in Christ. And where do you suppose when we received him in this dispensation of grace, the church age, as many as will tell you that's not what it is, scriptures bring it out in crystal clear clarity brings it out that we are in him. We are in him. And so all that that we just said is a type and it, tipp- it And what it does is it typifies the readiness of the heavenly to pervade the earthly. We have the heavenly in us. Our position, we are in Christ, positioned while we're on the earth. That's why Jesus said in his true high priestly prayer, the true prayer of our Lord, was John 17. He said in verse 14 that he is not of this world, the satanic world system. And neither are we in John 17 and verse 16. And that's why we're not to love the world. You can't love the world. You can only enter into the world through lust of the flesh. There's no such thing as loving the world, even in that sense in 1 John 2 and verse 15, because it brings out the reality of what we think love is. has nothing to do with just the lust of self being fulfilled. And you see that in 1 John 2, 16. But it's all coming to an end. All coming to an end. So that's what it typifies. And it's spread out. (laughs) <laughs> that, that rainbow, as it is between heaven and earth, and it proclaims what? Peace. Who is our peace? Who is our peace? That peace that we have, the peace between God and man, who is that? That's Christ. And it spans the whole horizon, because what it was the teaching, even in type, the all-embracing universality of that covenant of grace that was only done in Christ as the Lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That's our foundation. Now this, as far as I know, is a promise from God that on Thursday, I keep mixing the days up, Thursdays and Fridays, Thursdays and Fridays, but on Thursday we will be getting into all these people groups and how they started because they all came from the three sons of Noah, We know what one did with Noah, and we knew what the other two did. And it's very, very true in what it teaches us, even in humanity right now. So, Father, thank you for the word this morning. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.